Now hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 41, reading verses 8 to 20. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make of you a threshing sledge, new, sharp, and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord. In the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. When the poor and the needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive, and I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. Well, it's not been that uh, long ago uh, in which uh, going on a journey was an occasion for uh, danger and fear. We give little thought to this today because we live in a world of uh, motels and restaurants and emergency rooms and uh, law enforcement uh, that watches over travelers or does the best they can to watch over travelers. Certainly uh, can arrive in emergency situations. And it's an interesting uh, uh, storyline because uh, God is calling Israel to a new exodus, uh, which is, of course, uh, a going out from Babylonian captivity uh, to return to the land. And that new exodus, of course, is a journey, and it's an occasion for fear and danger. And given this prospect of fear and danger, God, in our text this morning, uh, encourages the nation with a reaffirmation of his love and affection, uh, verses 8 to 10. Uh, and then he's going to do something quite remarkable. He's going to remove all opposition, verses 11 to 16. And then finally, the promise of provision 
uh, for the journey, verses 17 to 20. Uh, ultimately, in my mind, it uh, engenders the notion of our own exodus, the last great exodus of which we as a church are a part, our promised safe passage all the way uh, to heaven. I, uh, I often tell my infirm 96-year-old and wheelchair-bound mother that we are one day closer uh, to heaven. I'm not unmindful that her own journey has been arduous in terms of physical trials, uh, but the promise of God all along the way is for uh, spiritual provision, which is to obviate all fear. That's exactly something of the message that Isaiah writes of uh, uh, the people who are about to journey a number of years distant in the future because this is prophetic literature, but nonetheless uh, it's going to uh, uh, remove the fear that they should have uh, given the difficulties of the journey that they are facing. It's very interesting uh, contextually that the uh, immediate uh, previous passage is uh, the fear of the nations about the coming of uh, Cyrus, the Persian who will again invade Babylon and be the ultimate uh, cause for setting the people free, obviously in the providence of God. And uh, the fear causes them to do what? Do you remember the text? Uh, yes, I know, it was a week ago. The fear causes them to make more idols. When men are afraid, they go to their gods. In the case of the nations, when they're afraid in light of the coming judgment of Cyrus and uh, his military victories, they're going to go make idols. Well, you and I don't need idols because God is our safety. He's the guarantor of our safe passage. It's a good reminder for the church. Uh, a number of years ago, I was in a <clears throat> checkout stand at uh, uh, XYZ retail store and uh, noticed a uh, St. Christopher's medal on the cashier. What's the patron saint of all travelers? I, I think, as I recall. So I asked the uh, cashier, uh, uh, what's the purpose of the medal you're wearing? Well, the answer is one that I suspected would come. Well, to keep me safe. Well, if you think about it, that's really idolatry. Uh, no man can keep any of us safe spiritually. I know they can physically, but they can keep none of us safe spiritually. St. Christopher, as good a man as he was, protects no one on the journey to heaven. And it's a reminder that in all of our fears and all of the journeys we must take, St. Christopher will not see us safely to the end. God will. And our journey, like uh, the people of Israel, uh, begins with an affirmation of love. That's important because uh, Israel in captivity felt rejected, and God reaffirms their status. There are three accolades in verse 8 uh, that is a reaffirmation of who uh, they were. Uh, first, uh, the nation is the servant of God, meaning that they are starting over in a new, new exodus, and they still have a role to play. 
as the servants of God. I would remind you as a Christian, you are a servant of God and that your life is to be spent in whatever venue God may press upon you uh, in terms of your vocational life, uh, you are a servant of God and therefore you are to render service to him throughout your journey uh, in this life. And yes, it is a difficult tasking, uh, but it comes, of course, with the grace of God. The second affirmation of love is uh, a remarkable doctrine, uh, namely, God says to Israel, I've chosen you. It is uh, the doctrine of election, a sovereign choice by God, not in any way linked to any external causation or merit, but solely the good pleasure of a sovereign God. He's chosen the nation to be a servant, elected them uh, for this new exodus and to return to the land, to reconstitute them in a new creation uh, to do what they failed to do uh, in the exodus uh, from Egypt. Uh, we oftentimes uh, err greatly when we think of election based upon something uh, that we do or something within us or about us. Well, just think of uh, the election of Israel in captivity. Uh, who chooses a convicted criminal? <laughs> well, God does. The nation was guilty of a serious, wanton idolatry and rejection, but God has still chosen them. I remind you, God chose you when you were dead in sin. So it's not based upon any meritorious act uh, within you or about you, but solely the sovereign good pleasure of his will. Lastly, we have a great affirmation of the lover of the seed of Abraham. Now, they were the seed of Abraham, the ethnic nation. God loves Abraham. And in that Abraham was their forefather, he loves them. Uh, that God loves Abraham and therefore uh, sets his love upon uh, his offspring. This is an interesting concept. You have your Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses uh, 7 to 8, is a reminder that his affection for the nation is based upon their forefather, Abraham. The Lord has not set his love on you, nor chose ye, because you are more in number than all the peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. Uh, his love uh, for the nation is based upon his oath to Abraham. Uh, the divine favor in that sense is linked to someone else. Uh, Abraham who's going to constitute physically the nation. Uh, the affirmation of love is uh, repeated uh, in almost the exact same way, but there's an addition. Verse 9, I have not rejected you. Again, they felt rejected. They're in prison. They felt despised, forgotten, and God now comes in his uh, reaffirmation of love and affection. Uh, well, you too need uh, uh, affirmation of love of God because our, our journey is arduous as well. Remember... Uh, brief biography of George Whitfield. He, he makes 13 trips across the Atlantic 
in the 1700s to preach the gospel in the colonies. It's very difficult to understand uh, how hard that must have been. If you need but a glimpse, there were no first-class cabins. There were no refrigerators. There was no steward. No frequent flyer miles. Incredibly difficult. You and I may not have such a difficult journey, but nonetheless there are spiritual difficulties all along the way. And our spiritual journey begins in eternity past in which we are reminded by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Ephesus of the greatness of the love of God that transcends time uh, in the goodness of God. Beginning Ephesians chapter 1 and the third verse. Uh, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. I'm always amazed by these churches that uh, have this doctrine of uh, second work of grace. It doesn't comport with Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. God in eternity past chose you and blessed you with every spiritual blessing all along the way that you want for nothing. Beyond that, Uh, Verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. Because he predestined us as adoptions through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Again, that we might be holy and blameless. It's a love that comes from eternity past. Before we were even born, God loved us with an effectual love that is immutable and unchanging. And so our beginning from eternity past secures our ending because the love of God cannot fail. God's election cannot fail. The Apostle Paul says as much uh, when he says the calling and election of God is irrevocable, Romans chapter 11, irrevocable. You and I revoke contracts all of the time. God does not. What he starts in eternity past, he sees to the end, eternity future. So you may on occasion in your spiritual journeys to heaven feel neglected, uh, frustrated, discouraged, You think that God has forgotten you. Again, turn to the scriptures and you will be reaffirmed in your understanding of the majesty and the height and the depth of the love of God for you in Christ. That our security, like the security of the nation of Israel, was based upon Abraham, ours is even greater. It's based upon our position in Christ. And so that we have every spiritual blessing. The provision is total and irrevocable. You don't need a second work of grace. In fact, there is no second work of grace. All along the way, it is all of the grace of God. 
The second work of grace implies to me that the first one wasn't good enough. And that, of course, is a difficult concept if you understand who God is and what he does for his people. Our journey is spiritual and we have everything we need. In fact, the psalmist says as much, does he not? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. So in that sense, if you understand the love of God, <clears throat> it, it obviates fear and reminds us that because it's based upon the love of God, we have safe passage. Safe passage. Uh, returning back to uh, uh, the prophet, uh, uh, respecting uh, that passage, uh, we have in the 10th verse of our chapter of study this morning. Uh, These words, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be uh, anxiously looking about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will hold you with my righteous right hand. In other words, God is on our side. Uh, the I am statement uh, speaks to the fact that God self-exists meaning that he depends upon nothing to sustain his life, that he is above everything and is the giver of life. In that sense, God needs no help because he is God, and he is therefore the giver of help. These I am statements, by the way, are found repetitively in all of the scripture uh, when uh, commissions are given uh, to uh, the people of God uh, to remind them of God's presence in the difficulty of the call of God. Uh, one such is uh, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9. Uh, Joshua has replaced Moses. Think of the difficulty of that calling. How would you like to replace Moses? Would cause anybody to be afraid? Uh, Joshua perhaps uh, uh, had a measure of fear, and so... Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That there's no part in his journey of which it can be said of Joshua that God was absent or God vacated himself. God cannot forget you because of who he is. If he could, he would not be God. At every point in your journeys, he is present. Uh, perhaps uh, one that uh, all of us uh, should take to heart in uh, light of our recent study, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Uh, that's, a, that's a difficult uh, call. But what's the promise? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm with you some of the time, Jesus says. No, I'm with you always. Continual, promissory presence of the Lord Christ. It's difficult journeys, I submit to you, but it is always met with the provision of God. 
uh, so that God strengthens and helps and withholds us for safe passage. Well, what about opposition? That's a cause of uh, fear. Uh, verses 11 to 16, uh, we learn of the nation of Israel and their uh, journey back to the promised land that God will remove all opposition. Uh, adversaries, I admit to you, are the cause of fear. Uh, but God says of them, uh, verse 12, you, you, you won't be able to find them. Uh, they'll be removed. Uh, pardon, yes, verse 12, you, you will not find them. Uh, and those who war with you will be as nothing, as non-existent. And again, we have another expression of the divine affirmation, verse 13, for I am the Lord your God who upholds your right hand, who says to you, do not fear, I will not. Uh, I, pardon me, I will, I will help you. Uh, fear, of course, is a crippling, can be a crippling event. Uh, same with anxiety. It can, can just simply destroy you. Uh, certainly uh, epidemic proportions uh, in our own country, fear and anxiety. Uh, we have, as the church, uh, the presence of God. I'm very fond of the words of uh, Stonewall Jackson, uh, who once said, do not take counsel of your fears. I mean, as a soldier, he, he was uh, very familiar with fear. Uh, and perhaps as a natural man, I'm sure there are many occasions which he was terrified. I mean, how could you not be? In the, in, in the Civil War, unlike uh, modern warfare, it was the generals who went forward to do reconnaissance. <laughs> That's a dangerous place to be. By the way, that's how Stonewall Jackson was shot, eventually led to his death. Uh, we don't do that in the American army. We have cavalry soldiers that go forward to be the eyes and the ears of the commander. Uh, but, but what does Jackson mean by don't take counsel your, of your fears? Well, don't listen to their advice. The advice of fear is give up, retreat, throw down your weapon and run to the rear. Don't go to work, quit, resign. Uh, go build, uh, but I, I love this in America today. I'm just fascinated by this notion. Uh, and I'm not suggesting if you're doing this, it's wrong per se, but it causes me to chuckle, so forgive me in my levity, uh, of uh, uh, go build uh, uh, a mountain retreat somewhere and store up all this food for the coming nuclear war and, uh, and store weapons and, and booby traps and uh, build this mountain underground storm shelter and you'll be safe. By the way, as a Christian, that would be a denial of your faith because you and I are to go into the world, not retreat from it. So all the more it's a difficult journey set before all of us. Uh, the verb do not fear uh, 
uh, is used three times in our text, verse 10, verse 13, verse 14. On each occasion, it is followed by the promise of the divine existence for help. Uh, we, uh, we find this construction in a text that we looked at uh, very recently, the book of the Revelation, uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, 17. Uh, John is terrified by the presence of the Lord. And so the Lord uh, says to him, uh, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. We don't have time to go over the meaning of the merism, uh, but suffice it to say, it means that God uh, is in sovereign control over every event of life from beginning to end because of who he is. Maybe that's enough to uh, enable us to have courage in the difficulties of our lives. Uh, again, I'm not suggesting we that, well, we are going to be afraid, we are going to get anxious, but what checks us is who God is and what he does for his people. In the occasion of John, he's the first and the last. And, and it does take uh, courage to be a Christian. I mean, that's exactly what God told Joshua. You know, be, be courageous. Uh, that notion is repeated all throughout the scriptures. Uh, have courage. Do the right thing. How can we do the right thing? Well, because God is our enabling strength and presence and power. Uh, that our courage, therefore, is buttressed with theology. Once you vacate as a Christian theology, you're going to lay yourself wide open to fear and trembling and all anxiety because it's theology, it's the sovereignty of God, the providence of God that checks us and holds us and stays us all along the way. If you will, God plus, the Christian plus God means victory safe passage in my language. In the case of Israel, the divine help will come from Cyrus who will pulverize all opposition. Verse 15, the metaphor that's used of Cyrus, uh, some kind of threshing uh, sled uh, used in ancient Near East for harvesting crops. Uh, let me modernize it in this way. He's likened to a combine in a wheat field or a cornfield. If you ever see a combine, you know, during the harvest season, every now and then in Oklahoma, if you're traveling north through Kansas, and uh, you'll see a combine or a number of combines, more often than not, uh, being unloaded from tractor trailer. Uh, what that tells me is the wheat doesn't have a chance. <laughs> you know, the, the, the wheat's defeated. It's going to be destroyed. The corn doesn't have a chance in the presence of that combine. That's what God is saying of the enemies of Israel when Cyrus comes. He'll pulverize them all. Uh, to use a contemporary phrase, uh, Cyrus will go through them like a hot knife through butter. The second metaphor he uses of God removing all, all opposition, eventually to remove their fear of their journey, is that of the storm. Uh, the wind of God will blow in this terrible storm and the enemy will scatter. It is, of course, true that the church uh, faces adversaries. Uh, 
But Jesus has conquered death and hell. And he gives us safe passage. If you have your Bible open to the prophecy of Isaiah, turn to Isaiah 54 and verse 17. Something of the reality of this promise of safe passage given to Israel in the Exodus. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. That's quite a promise. Uh, safe passage. Okay, so uh, God affirms his love to the nation and the outside of their uh, difficult journey. Uh, he reminds them that he will remove all opposition. Uh, what about uh, provisions uh, for the journey all along the way. I mean, that's a reason to be afraid. You ever take a trip and say, oh my goodness, do I have enough money to pay the toll master? Well, I mean, I don't know. What about the condition of my tires? Can I really really get to grandmom's house? Can Little Red Riding Hood really make it? Well, verses 17 to 20, our journey is blessed with promises of provision. The prophet uses uh, uh, two major metaphors here. Uh, one is uh, uh, abundant water. <clears throat> and then trees. Uh, I, I take this as necessities for the uh, new exodus. Pilgrims, of course, certainly uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, will get thirsty, and God will answer. Notice in the text uh, the references to water. There's rivers, springs, pools, and fountains. Uh, some of you have family members that go buy bottled water. Go on a journey, bottles appear in the car. Simply the notion of the provision of God. Uh, no, Aquafina. There's rivers and waters and fountains and pools that God will provide. We know that, of course, do we not, from the first Exodus. Provision of uh, water. Uh, with God, therefore, water is not the issue. It's something of the majesty of the promise of Jesus Christ on the last day of the feast when the high priest would stand out and pour out a drink offering. The Lord says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And he says this in reference to the Spirit of God. You come to Christ, my friend, the issue is never enough spiritual water because it is poured upon you by the majesty of the Spirit of God in rivers, pools, and streams because he blesses us with every spiritual blessing all along the way. He that believeth in me as the Scriptures have said, 
will have rivers of living water. From his innermost being will pour out such a river. It's our reminder that in our journey to heaven, we're not left to our own devices. God does not say, good luck, I hope you make it. He gives us his spirit to ensure that we make it. The issue of the destination is not in doubt, given the spirit of God. The other figure here is is of trees. In fact, seven trees are listed. Uh, Some people see this, and and they may very well be correct, as as evidence of the new creation, uh, the abundance of, uh, of, uh, of trees as an expression of, again, God creates again. Uh, But to me, uh, the metaphor is different. I see it as the provision of shade. Uh, In that sense, it's as if God is a moving oasis uh, with the people as as they move. Uh, A couple of weeks back, I recited a passage from Deuteronomy. Uh, which Moses reminds them, uh, God reminds them that uh, in your Exodus journey, you never needed new clothing. Your clothes never wore out. And your foot never swelled. Provision of God for the journey. Uh, Again, it's very difficult for us to comprehend this in uh, the modern age, but uh, uh, heat can blister and, of course, uh, be terribly debilitating. Uh, I'm fairly... Fair skin, and I have nothing on the top of my head to protect me from uh, from the rays of the sun. The sun just eats me alive. I mean, I go buy all the ointments and the sunscreen, and you know, my skin doctor was telling me a week ago, uh, you don't need—I forget what it is—number seventy-five. You need ninety-five. It's always some higher level of protection. You know, go get it all. I spray it all over myself. It's the nature of the sun. Imagine yourself on a wilderness journey with very little other than the clothes on your back. Again, I suspect the sun would blister you. We've all read stories and heard of men who are for a season lost at sea. The sun just tears them up. So the need and the promise for shade is a remarkable promise of the provision of God during the journey that God provides. Uh, The prophet Isaiah has uh, already reminded the nation of this in the fourth chapter of his prophecy in the sixth verse. There will be a shelter to give shade from the heat by day and refuge and protection from the storm and the rain. God is our daily provision all along the way. Uh, We find this in uh, the Psalter, uh, the text uh, that... uh, called us to worship this morning, Psalm 121. If you have your Old Testament, I trust you do. I encourage you to turn there. It's a pilgrim psalm. What's a pilgrim psalm? It was written uh, for the pilgrims as they would leave their homes, for the men that would leave their homes and go uh, to Jerusalem during the three great pilgrim feasts. It was an occasion for fear. I mean, they're leaving their families without the man of the house. They're leaving their their, their homestead defenseless. I mean, imagine living on the border and and uh, you, you leave your homestead. I mean, it's, it's now uh, open to thieves and brigands and invading armies. Uh, 
The journey was difficult. Uh, again, there was no uh, burger doodle along the way to stop in and get a number three minus the onions. Some bottled water. There were beasts of prey, brigands, all along the way. And so God, to remind his people of the constancy of his provision in the challenge of service, gives to them a pilgrim psalm, 121. Uh, Simply going uh, to read uh, verses uh, 5 to 8. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day and the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, did, did you catch the merisms? The two extremes, meaning everything along the way? The sun, the moon. You're going out, you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God is present with us. The time and travel are in God's hands in every second and every point of geography and all along the way. Now, by the way, in my own mind in this text, the concept of shade is defined for us spiritually. He will protect you from evil and keep your soul. In the Old Testament, it's the literal physicality of the provision. In the New, it's escalated to the spiritual provision of the presence of Christ in every spiritual blessing all along the way. He protects our soul. That means for us that in our service to Christ, we may someday be killed, but nothing can get at our soul because there is an impregnable fortress that has entombed us in the power of God so that we are protected by the power of God in the greatest exodus of all time. In that sense, the defense of your soul is impenetrable. We have a theological description of that called eternal security. I call it an attitude Uh, when you're surrounded by occasions for fear. Uh, It's a great expression of of all of this in uh, John's uh, first epistle, uh, chapter 4, verses 17 to 18. One of the things that happens to me in my, my Christian sojourning, and I suspect it happens to you, is the fear of punishment. You, uh, do something you ought not to do. And, uh, or, or perhaps, <laughs> if you're like me, you think about things you have done and the fear of punishment is just all over you. Uh, and so John writes to us in uh, verses 17 to 18, By this love is perfected with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. And there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. It means that the eternal love of God obviates our fears of punishment. A great promise. Uh, We 
perhaps not you, but I sometimes, oh my goodness, what about the eternal punishments that will last forever because of the uh, eternality of uh, the perfect love of the Lord God to us in Jesus Christ? Punishment is never the issue. I remind you we may be disciplined. I'm not suggesting that there are things that uh, don't happen to us when we sin, uh, but punishment is not one of them. And the love of God uh, casts out fear of punishment. Meaning, because God has loved us in eternity past, we have safe passage. The text closes with a purpose clause. Uh, They're going to be the object lesson of God's greatness. Uh, Notice the, the verb create. A new creation is starting. God is starting over. You and I are the ultimate uh, reality of uh, God's end-time creation. It's begun, the church. uh, It's the first fruits, if you will. And so our our journey as Christians uh, in this greatest of all acts of immigration is uh, is perilous. Uh, But with God, uh, we have the promise of safe passage. It is, I think, captured for us in a most majestic way by the hymnist. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has seen me safe thus far, and grace will see me home. 